1 John, oh sorry, not 1 John, John 15, 1 through 4. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not, that bears no fruit. While every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will have, it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the world, uh, you, you are already clean because of the world I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus gave us a meaningful metaphor to help make the point. I am the vine and you are the branches, Jesus declared. Jesus calls us into a life of connection before production. It's an important word because that is what we're called to be. And notice I didn't necessarily say... tell you that if you want to go in deeper study as we go through this series or maybe you want to open up the word of God with someone else and walk through the biblical text that we'll be using in this series use one of our discovery bible study bookmarks those are available out in the lobby in paper form or they're on our church website under the media tab go and get one of those and use that as a resource there's some great questions there that you can use for personal bible study or I think sometimes even better to invite someone into a conversation over the scripture to find out who God is, who we are, what we're called to be, and who we're called to be. So use that resource. It is available to you. If you have a Bible, open it up to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is where we see this metaphor that is so important, that speaks to our connection, not only to each other, but to the true source of life, and that is Jesus. Let me ask you, by what standard is your life measured? What I mean kinds of things, don't we? What about at work, maybe as an employee of a company, or maybe as an employer of employees? Maybe as upper management or as an officer in the company. What is used to assess how you're doing? What about in an organization as a volunteer or a leader or a member of a team on the job or maybe even a sports team or some other type of team? How are you assessed? How do you know if, if things are going well? As a student, how do you know? We have certain measures, don't we? We test, we literally test how you are doing. And those of you who teach students, are there assessments? Are there ways to find out how you are doing as a teacher or a professor? Occasionally, I get to teach some classes at Oklahoma Christian. Last fall, I taught Christian family. I love that class. It's a great class. It's very relevant. It's very practical. It's very biblical. It was a big class, 50 students. And we always have stu student evaluations or course evaluations. So I was going through my course evaluations not long ago to see, you know, how I did from the students themselves. 
They should know, right? They were there every day. And by and large, the marks were good, the comments were good, very positive. And then I came across one comment that really caught my attention. And I'm going to read it to you word for word. This is what it said. With the greatest respect. That's a great way to start, isn't it? With the greatest respect, Randy's wife, Carrie Ann, is a better teacher across the board. But this student didn't stop there. From organizing the class to understanding technology, a quick talk with her might help Randy. That student got an F in my class. No, as you know, evaluations, we see those after, and they're anonymous, so I have no idea who wrote that. And it is true. She is a better teacher. I can take that. But we all have ways, don't we, that we're assessed. We have ways that measure in quantifiable ways how we are doing. We live in a world that is merit-based, a world of performance reviews and exams and rubrics and assessments and bottom lines. You see, your value is often associated with what you produce. Don't you find that to be true in your life? Your value, your worth is often associated, is often directly related to what you produce, how often you produce, the quality of what you produce. But what about as a follower of Jesus? What about as a disciple of Christ? Is our primary job to produce is our value to the kingdom found in what we accomplish? How are we assessed? And where should our focus be? Those are important questions. And those are questions that Jesus actually speaks to. In fact, on the night before he went to the cross, he is talking to his disciples, to his friends, to his followers. And on the night before you know you're going to die, you don't mince words, and Jesus didn't. You speak plainly. And you speak about what is most important, and that's what Jesus seems to do. And as he speaks to his disciples, as he talks about what matters most, he gets to the heart of this question we're asking. How are we assessed? Where should our focus be? What is most important? And this is what he says in John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. John is giving us the seventh, the final I am statement of Jesus. Throughout John's gospel, as he has organized it by the Spirit working through him, John presents Jesus as I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. And now we get to the final I am statement. I am the true vine. In this extended metaphor we have of the vine and the branches, it begins to paint a picture of who not only he is, but who we are and how we are related to him and where our focus should be. And even though most of us here, we're not gardeners, we're not botanists, we don't work in the vineyard, we're not farmers, we can understand this simple metaphor, can't we? 
So we're going to be looking at some of the different dynamics of this passage, some of the different dynamics of this allegory of the vine and the branches throughout this series. But for now, let's try to understand where everyone sort of fits in. What is everyone's role and where should our focus be? Jesus continues, verse 5, I am the vine, he again says, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So who is who in this metaphor? First of all, who is Jesus? Jesus says very clearly, I am the true vine. Some have interpreted this or translated this vine as vineyard, maybe a broader perspective. But Jesus says, I am the vine. What about his disciples, including us? You are the branches, he says, intertwined and yet connected to the source of life, the vine. What about God? God is the gardener, Jesus says. In some parables, we try to assign different roles to different entities. God is this or Jesus is that. Well, we don't have to guess here because Jesus says it. God is the gardener and he sometimes cuts away and sometimes prunes, which we'll get to later. And by the way, this isn't just a random image. This isn't just some, something that Jesus picks out of the air to use as a teaching point. You see, this image of a vine, of branches, of a vineyard, this icon is important in the heritage and the history of the Jewish people. The nation of Israel, God's covenant people, were known as God's vine, as his vineyard. Throughout the Old Testament, look in some of the wisdom literature, some of the prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the Psalms, you will see that, I, uh, that Israel is identified as God's vine or his vineyard. But there's a problem with the vineyard. There's a problem with the vine. They are disconnected. They are ineffective. They are unproductive. For example, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 2, Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Okay, Isaiah, we get it. You expected a good harvest, but you only got rotten bad fruit now who it is that you're talking about who who are we talking about here well again he tells us skip down to verse 7 the vineyard of the lord almighty is the nation of israel and the people of judah are the vines he delights he delighted in and he looked for justice but he saw bloodshed he looked for righteousness but he heard cries of distress you see part of what jesus is doing when he comes along and he says, I am the true vine, is he's calling out Israel. He's calling out Israel because they are supposed to be the vine of God. They are supposed to be the true vine, but they weren't. They were producing only bad fruit. He's calling them out for being fake and fruitless. Last fall, our ministry staff went through a weekly Bible study over this passage in John 15. It was a great study for us, and one of the resources we used to help us in our study that will also inform some of the content in this series is a book by Kyle Adelman called When Your Way Isn't Working. 
And in this study, he told a story about a woman in California who took care of her houseplant for two years. Read the headline here of a news story in the USA Today. A California woman cared for her perfect succulent plant for two years. You say, well, why is that newsworthy? That happens in millions of households across America every day, right? People take care of plants. What's the big deal? Well, there's more to the headline and there's more to the story. Keep reading the headline. Then she found out it was fake. (laughs) That's right. This woman cared for this plant for two years. She got it as a gift. She did what we all do. when We have questions. She Googled up. How do you take care of this succulent plant? And she watered it every day. She cleaned its leaves. She set it up in the kitchen window, and she looked at it every day, and she said, I took such good care of it. I loved it. It was so beautiful. I loved seeing it every day. And it wasn't until she finally decided I should repot this plant that she discovered that there were no roots, only styrofoam under the plant. (laughs) How disappointing. Isn't that much of Israel's story, and if we're honest, ours sometimes as well. God had cared for Israel, provided for them, nurtured them, but no matter how much he did for them and with them, it was like they weren't real. There were no roots, there was no depth, no growth, no fruit. You see, bearing fruit is important. As God's people, what we do does matter. How many times, just in this short passage we read in John 15, does he talk about bearing fruit? We are expected to bear fruit. What is fruit? Visible, observable character and conduct that represents Jesus and his kingdom. We are expected to bear fruit as followers of Jesus. But Jesus is very clear on where that fruit comes from and where our focus should be. You see, the fruit that we bear as followers of Jesus comes from our connection to him. The fruit we bear comes from the connection that we have. Bearing fruit is a result of a deeper connection that we have to the source of life. The one whose life flows through us, the true vine, Jesus Jesus says it over and over again in this short passage. Did you see? Look at it. Look at how many times it's highlighted. Remain in me. Remain in me time and time again. Would you say that's the theme of this passage? Remain in me. Let my words remain in you. Apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. So stay connected to me. Remain in me. That word has also been translated as abide. We don't really use that word much. But it means to live, to dwell with. Jesus says, live with me. Stay connected to me. Walk alongside me. Abide with me. But we often get things backwards, don't we? We get fixated on producing rather than connecting. It becomes a mindset for us. Even even as followers of Jesus, we have this mindset, I need to do more. My value comes from my service, from what I accomplish for God, the many ways I serve, the good that I do, the visible results I produce. We are performing for that performance review, for that assessment. 
And if we're honest with ourselves and others, we like to be recognized for what we do. We like to be noticed for the things that we do and the ways that we serve. Look how busy he is. Look at all the good things she's doing. And so as you pour yourself into producing, let me ask you, are you investing the same energy into connecting? Connecting with Jesus, nurturing that relationship, investing in a deep, abiding connection to the source of life. It's so easy to get those things turned around, isn't it? And what we do is we launch out on our own, apart from Jesus, saying we're doing these things in his name for his glory. But the truth is, we're just out on our own, busy. And if there's any praise to be shared, we keep it to ourselves. Maybe an example of Jesus' life and ministry will help us visualize this point a little bit. One day, Jesus and his disciples are traveling on the road, and they come to this village And these two sisters offer hospitality to them, invite Jesus into their home. Maybe you know this story. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me? To do the work by myself, tell her to help me. You can see this unfold in your minds, can't you? Maybe you've been there before. Martha is busy getting everything ready for Jesus. It's not every day that the Son of God comes into your home. And so maybe she's working on the meal prep. Maybe she's making a final sweep through the house, getting the pile of laundry off the sofa, doing what we always do when someone comes over, using that closet or that laundry room and just shoving everything in there and hoping no one looks in there when they come. She's getting everything ready. What she is doing is important, isn't it? Any Marthas here? Some of you are Marthas, aren't you? You know this feeling. You're the get-it-done type of people. When everyone else is standing around talking, you're the ones working. So that they can stand around and talk, right? You're running around with your hair on fire, making sure everything gets done. That's Martha. And then she glances over at Mary, her sister. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Hey, shouldn't you be helping me? Martha doesn't like it. And what Mary is doing is is somewhat shocking, really. Especially in this day and time, it was rare for women to sit at the seat Or to sit at the feet of rabbis. You see, to sit at the feet of a rabbi meant you were learning from him. You were being discipled by him. A very non-traditional role for a woman in this day and time. But she wanted to be with Jesus. She wanted to hear what he had to say. She wanted to watch him. You might say she wanted a connection to him. Martha thinks Mary's time could be better spent helping her getting everything ready. And so she appeals to Jesus to step in. And notice what Jesus does. He affirms Mary. Back in the text, Luke 10, verse 41. Martha, Martha. Boy, you never want Jesus to say your name twice, I don't think. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will will not be taken away from her. 
You see, the things Martha were doing, they were important things. They weren't unimportant. They were necessary. They were good and they were needed. But her fixation on producing before connecting seems misguided, doesn't it? And that's what Jesus points out. He says, in this moment, not that those things aren't important, not that he's not appreciative of those things, but in this moment, the better choice, the better way, the more impactful and lasting way to spend this moment is to be with Jesus, to be connected to him. God calls us to serve, no doubt. The church needs us to serve, to work, to produce. But all of those things must flow out of a deeper connection to Christ. Not at the expense of being connected to him. And so here's the takeaway. Focus on connection before production. What you do, yes, that's important. Serving, so important, so needed, so necessary. But focus on connection and let what you do flow from your deep connection with Jesus. And it's not just one time. Well, I, I, I came to Jesus and I love Jesus and, and we connected a long time ago. And it's a, it's a daily reconnection. Because that fuels your service. That shapes your identity. That informs your purpose in life. If Jesus is the vine, that means life comes from and through him to us. And then from us to the world. See, if you get connection right, the production will happen. Constantly nurture a strong relationship with God, with Jesus, with other godly people. That then becomes the foundation for your daily life. The visible life of a disciple of Christ will be a manifestation of that deep, abiding connection. You see, here's what happens. A production-first mindset, it just gets us in trouble. It just welcomes all of these negative thoughts and attitudes. You see, untethered from our source of life, we're out on our own, and that's when we start competing. That's when we start controlling. That's when we start one-upping other people. That's when we start looking for praise. That's when pride gets the best of us. When we're out there on our own, we get caught in those traps. And maybe we do that because we're trying to, to earn God's approval or other people's praise. And maybe we do it to, to try to add value to the church or to the kingdom of God. Maybe we do it because we like to be noticed. We like to be recognized. It's a burden. The burden of production and self-promotion weighs heavily on our hearts. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus comes along and he says, give me that burden. That's not yours to carry. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Those of you trying to do it all on your own, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Jesus comes along and he removes that burden of, of self-glory and production apart from him. Of performance. That's what he did for his disciples. Do you know how the Gospels end? Do you know some of the final words that Jesus speaks to his disciples? We certainly know Matthew's ending, don't we? 
Matthew wrote one of the Gospels inspired by the Holy Spirit. And at the end of his Gospel story, as he talks about Jesus and all that he did and all that he taught and all the miracles, we have what we call the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus has his disciples and he says, Go and make disciples of all nations. He says, Baptize them, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. He gives them the Great Commission. And it's important. And as a church that has a mission here of making disciples, we embrace that commission. That's what they were to do. But according to one of the other gospel writers, those weren't necessarily the final words of Jesus to his disciples. You see, that commission seems to be grounded in a deeper connection. And so in Luke's gospel, at the very end, this is how Luke describes it. Luke chapter 24, verse 50. When Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Look at that phrase, while he was blessing them. The very last picture, the last impression that Jesus wanted to leave with his disciples, his friends, his followers, was him with his hands, his nail-scarred hands of his resurrected body raised above them, speaking words of blessing over them. That's how he went up to heaven. That's the last picture. Those are the final words. Jesus, did he want them to go into the world? Did he have plans for them? Did he have a commission for them? Yes, absolutely. But he says, when you go, know that you go with my blessing. You don't go to earn my blessing. You're not going to show how good you are. You're not doing to cross things off a list. Hey, I did all this. I went, I taught, I baptized. Jesus wants him to know that as you go, you are blessed. You're already blessed. So stop working yourself to death. Trying to earn someone's blessing or approval. Maybe it's the approval or blessing of your father, of your mother, of your child, of your spouse, of your boss. Maybe even of God. God has already blessed you. So live knowing you are blessed rather than trying to earn blessing. Even if you go back to Matthew's ending, the Great Commission, what comes right after Jesus commissions them? He says in Matthew 28, the end of, of verse 20, And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Jesus says, go and make disciples, but then he says, don't ever forget, I am with you. That's what it's about. We are connected I am with you, so stay with me. The only way you can sustain the good work of the Great Commission, the only way you can bear fruit at last, is to stay connected to the source of life. And so in John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And what does he say you are? You are the branch. And so what does he say your job is? He doesn't say, your job is to produce fruit. Producing fruit is important, and he talks about it. He says, just be the branch. That's your job. Stay connected to the vine. Stay connected to him. And when you get connection right, 
production will happen. And God will receive the glory and his kingdom will be advanced. So pursue connection before production. If we can encourage you today, let us do that. Our shepherds want to pray for you. A couple of them and their wives will be in the parlor right behind me. You can go there in just a minute and they'll encourage you and pray for you. Or you can come down to the front and we will pray over you as a church family. Maybe today you're realizing, maybe for the first time, or maybe it's all sort of coming together in your heart and your mind that, that this is real, that Jesus is real, that he is the only source of life, that apart from him, as he said, we can do nothing. And you're tired of doing nothing. Maybe it's time to get connected to Jesus. Whatever that looks like, if that means confession of sin, if that means being restored, if that means today giving your life to Christ, being baptized into Christ, letting God raise you up as a new creation, do that today. If there's some way we can assist you, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand.